don't have parenting skills or you're deaf. Um, it's just consistent yelling, getting all these looks. Annabelle, my middle child, is just like picking up random stuff and throwing it. It's just, it's amazing, but crazy at the same time. So um, I think your vehicle that you drive generally shows your priorities and your value in life, uh, not in a um, selfish way or a material way. It just generally it kind of shows a season of life that you're in. So you know what type of season of life that I'm in when next week I'm trading in my F-150 for an already purchased 2007 Honda Odyssey. Come on. Come on. Minivan people in the house. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So we officially are a family that has two minivans. We have a 2007 Honda Odyssey and a 2013 Honda Odyssey. Stacy drives the 13 model, a little bit classier, you know. Her AC works. But um, there is... uh, there's something about having two minivans that really shows your value of where you are in life if you haven't figured this out. Now, we didn't inherit these minivans. We didn't find them. We actually went and purchased two minivans um, on choice. So just an amazing season in our life. I love when people laugh at the swagger wagon um, because when you don't have a child or you only have one, you're in that mold of like, I'm never getting a minivan. How many of you said, I'm never getting a minivan, right? Um, once you have the third child, if you still don't want a minivan, I think you're in denial and you need Sozo. Um, because it's just the most practical thing in the world. You know, cool people are like, no, we're doing the Tahoe thing. And um, I just think they need prayer and a lot of help because that is not correct. You cannot beat the sliding doors on a minivan and the way it's just built for children to just destroy all the time. So we have really, really embarked on this quest to have as much space as possible for our children to run as wild as they possibly can. So that's the phase of life that we're in, and it's been an amazing nine years, uh, been amazing 12 years, better for me than for her. the first part was a joke. But the great thing about uh, Stacy and I in our relationship that I, I've actually come to realize is somewhat rare. There's many great things, but one particular that I, always sticks out to me that I tell people all the time is we're generally on the same page about big picture goals in life, big vision. We have the same mission in life. We, we, one of us doesn't want to be a missionary in Africa and the other one wants to run a vet. You know, we're we're very much on the same page with big goals. So how we raise kids, the method that we raise our kids, our theology of God, our experience of God, um, the way we want to do relationships, the way we want to do marriage, the way we want to parent, literally down to the type of house that we wanted and the colors. I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing how those big picture things in life were really aligned in, which I'm very thankful for. So when we get in a fight, which is like never... You know, like once every nine months, maybe, something like that. We may disagree once every nine months. That's a joke. Um, uh, we, we, we process differently, but we end up in the same place of like, okay, here's our big picture goal. And one of the huge pillars of our relationship has been that we've always gone before God and just said, okay, what is in me that you don't want in me? And what is not in me that you want in me? 
the way David put it was, put in me, O oh God, a clean heart. And so basically what David's saying is, God, I, I want to embody you and I want to mirror you and the things in me, I want you to like those things in me. So we're always on that page. And the big, one of the big things that we have drafted into is living for the next generation. We have watched older people model this and we feel like we've caught the heart of God on this to live for the next generation. And when this clicks to live for the next generation, everything changes. Your posture is different. The way you think is different. The way you invest is different. How you spend time and money and energy, everything is different when you fully grasp this kingdom concept that we're supposed to be living for the next generation. Now, this, this, this idea of living for the next generation, it has to become past just a funny thought or a fuzzy feeling into a deep conviction. We have to be convicted with this. It has to be a decision that is all-consuming that you and I live for the next generation. It cannot be something in 20 years where we wake up and think, oh, no, oh, yeah, we missed that one. Like, we, we cannot afford to miss living for the next generation today. This is a binary decision where you just decide, I'm going to start living for the next generation right now, today. One of the thoughts that's been coming to my mind in this is, we don't get to live for the next generation. We have to live for the next generation. We don't just, it's not a choice in the kingdom. It, it is a mandate. I'm about to cover scripture that's going to show how vital this is, but this isn't just something we think is a good idea. This is absolutely bedrocked, and we have to do this. We have to live with enough conviction that we live for the next generation no matter what. Okay, this is a culture key because culture is basically taking a large group of people and how they think by these core values shapes into an environment. So when you fully grasp that you're supposed to live for the next generation, it starts changing how you think. This is important. Jesus said, so a man thinketh, so a man is. And so you and I, we have to learn how to think how God thinks. And from a cultural perspective, it's vital that we understand our posture towards each other that's living for the next generation. Another thing this will help you understand is sometimes me and Stacy make decisions where I feel like people think we make decisions slower than we should, or we're less stressed about things now than we should be. And a big part of that is because I'm not thinking next Sunday. I'm thinking 50 years. Next Sunday's important. Next Friday's important. But the next 50 years. And that, that's a choice to live that way. What does it look like if a group of people all completely surrendered into living for the next 50 years to pass on to the next generation? So as a culture... You and I understanding we're both bought into this and we both want to live for the next generation. So I'm, I'm offering you today an invitation to come in with me and live for the next generation. All right, so I'm going to cover five key points on how to live for the next generation. These are five key points that I have found in my short 34 years of life, but also just watched other people model these five pillars. But before I do that, I want to go to Scripture and show you how serious God is about living for the next generation and how serious the kingdom is and how the kingdom works off of living 
for the next generation. So I am about to read uh, in Hebrews 11, if any of you brought your Bible. We are going to put some scripture up here in a minute, but okay. A long time ago, God set this whole idea in motion. And I mean like a long time ago. So with Adam and Eve before sin, he told us to multiply. This is, this is before anything's even gone wrong. God is saying, all right, guys, you ready? We're going to start living for the next generation. Like, immediately. I want you to have kids. I want your kids to have kids. I want your children's children to have kids. And this is going to continue. We're going to multiply. Immediately teaching Adam our posture is to live for the next generation. That's a, quite stunning. See, God thinks long-term. See, God has no problem you going through a season for like seven years. Now, how many of you are like, you're frustrated, like, can we just get this open? Like, what's the next thing? Like, this is forever. Like, are you really okay with this taking 10 years, God? Like, broke, having a broken relationship, and you're like, man, we're going to walk through this for six years? And God's like doing his thing, and he's okay with it. And I'm like, man. We got, like, can this take overnight? You know, I mean, he's just okay with things taking a long time. Something for God taking 10 years in his world is not that long. He's been around a long time. You and I are like, man, I'm only here for, like, 80 to 100. 10 is a long time. But God thinks long term. God thinks big picture, how are we going to get to where we're going long term? Frustrating as it can be, he's right and we need to align ourselves with how he thinks. Okay, so in Hebrews 11, this is what we're about to read. Hebrews 11, this is like one of those really famous scriptures. Like potentially, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard of this, these scriptures. I would consider it like the hall of fame of faith. This is where the writer goes through and he lists off all these former giants of the kingdom, people that we read about, people that we want to have their influence in our life, the kind of people that we want to model our life after. He goes through and he explains that by faith, all of these people did all these great things. And he lists a long list of them. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all word for word, but I'm going to go through the names just to illustrate how serious he is about making this happen. And then I'm also going to read the first two verses in chapter 12. So I'm going to read all of 11, or paraphrase all of 11, and then go into chapter 12. Um, it's, a lot, you know, it's a lot shorter than it sounds, but... Um, so that's what we're about to read. Okay, so Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. All right, and then he just starts line upon line right here. By faith, Abel did these things. By faith, Enoch did these things. By faith, Noah did these things. By faith, Abraham did these things. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac did these things. By faith, Jacob did these things. By faith, Joseph did these things. By faith, Moses did these things. By faith, people passed through the Red Sea. By faith, Rahab. Then he's, he, he's even getting overwhelmed, and he goes, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. So he's just, 
He's taking all of these great men in the past, and he's just like, by faith he did this. Next one. By faith he did this. 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 And he's taking this giant turn from all the way back from Abraham into where we are today, which is awesome. Now verse 39. Okay, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. All right, now you gotta, you got to track with me here. Think about this. That verse sounds cruel. They, they all lived by faith. They're in the Bible because of it. We celebrate those people, and it's saying, but they actually didn't actually, they didn't get what they were going for. Now, that sounds cruel, unless you understand that they were living for the next generation. Okay, verse 40. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with, with us they would be made perfect. So let me read that again. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Stunning. Okay, then he goes on. So this is Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. All right. So we got giant in the faith, 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 hits this point where where everything they lived for they actually didn't get. And the Bible says they didn't get it so that without us they couldn't fulfill it. What's he saying is the goal, the prize that they got is that they plowed in and the next generation went further. They plowed in and the next generation went further. They plowed in and the next generation went further. And now it says, in the great cloud of witnesses, this is, this is heaven, looking at you and I going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Hey, Abraham started this X amount of years ago, keep going, keep going, keep going. And we have the option now to step into this momentum that the kingdom has started. See, listen, it's, if, if I think, if they didn't get what they were promised, that sounds cruel. God's not cruel. The truth is, it appeared that they didn't get what they, were prom- what they were promised, but the goal was to go as far as they can and pass it. Go as far as you can and pass it. Go as far as you can and pass it. That's the model. Okay, and it gets down to Jesus. Okay, Jesus perfectly represented the Father. He said, I can only do what the Father tells me to say and do. You have to catch this. Jesus, it wasn't Jesus and the Father talking. They were always in unison. Jesus is saying exactly what the Father was saying all the time. All the time. Jesus and the Father were not at war. So when Jesus was talking, it was the Father talking with Jesus, through Jesus. And Jesus said, greater things than this you'll do. What is Jesus doing? He just took the baton. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you, Enoch. Thank you, guys. Here he is. He just plowed I mean, he went really far. And he stops and he goes, all right, guys, here's the plan. I'm going to pass the baton to you. You're supposed to do greater things than me now. What is he doing? He's just modeling the kingdom momentum. Jesus modeled the heart of the Father 
by saying, you will do greater things than me. What is he modeling? Hey, guys, every generation is supposed to increase. Every generation is supposed to get better and better and better. And we can't be selfish enough to stop that journey. We can't be selfish enough to live for ourselves and lose the momentum. We, we have to buy in this. this. This has to burn within us that the next generation will go further than we went. Amen? This is a big deal. I want to be around people who want to continue this momentum. If you don't want to continue the momentum, please don't come back to church. <laughs> Never said that before. But seriously, I don't know. You're more than welcome to come. I, you know, we just probably won't get along or have a good time, but you can feel free to be around if you want. I'm kidding. Okay. So, five practical ways to live for the next generation. These are going to be, some of these are really simple, but I think they're just good reminders for you and I to just remember as we go through life. Okay. Number one is take ownership of this. Simple as can be. We actually have to decide that this matters. I don't need a prophetic word for someone to tell me to do this. I don't need to read scripture again for this. I'm not waiting on permission. I, tonight, when you leave, you can just decide, cool, I'm going to live for the next generation. I am deciding that this is important, this is a kingdom value, and I'm going to do this. Don't look for someone else to impact the next generation. You just start right now. You don't need anything else. Just start living for the next generation. Is it really that easy? Yep. We don't need a Shabbat. We don't need to, we don't need any of that. We can just, cool, it's in the Bible. Perfect, I'm in. I'm making a decision to start living for the next generation. Okay, number two, simple, 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 your physical health. Every day when you steward your natural body, you are saying, I am caring for the next generation. Every day that you don't steward your body, you are saying, I don't value the next generation as much as I should. It sounds so simple, but guys, we, as, as we age, we're put on earth to age well and pour into the next generation. And you can't do that if you're sick. You can't do that if you don't take care of your body. Now, things happen outside of our control. I don't mean it in a bad way. I'm saying what you can control Steward your body. Pay attention to what you eat. Pay attention to how you exercise. Pay attention to what your body needs. Pay attention to your sleeping patterns. You don't have to be a supermodel. You don't have to be an athlete. But I am saying just be aware of what you're doing to your body. See, when you get older, your children are going to have to take care of you, and that's a privilege. That, that is a, that's a good thing to be able... When your parents are older and you don't want to take care of them, that's something is wrong in your heart and you need help. So when that happens, here's my point. We need, as, we need to go as long as we can go while pouring into the next generation. You can mother and father when you're 90. You really can. This is important. When you're 75 years old and you're healthy and in good shape, you can keep pouring into the next generation. If not, it's more difficult. I'm not judging anyone who's headed down a bad path. Guys, we're in this together, and we can start now, start living with our physical health in mind to pour into the next generation. Can I get amen? 
I know we talk about physical health here a lot. I think it's important. Amen? We'll be a church that talks about that for, you know, the next 75 years or so. Okay. Um, All right, number three is resources. Stewarding your resources for the next generation. Solomon said a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A man who's wise and uses wisdom leaves an inheritance not just for his kids, but also for his kids' kids. Now, this isn't just money, but it includes money. How are you thinking about the resources that you have? How are you thinking about the income that you have? How are you thinking about the energy that you have? And how can that pour into not just your children, but the children after that? What are you doing with the resources that God has given you so the next generation can benefit? I'm not saying spoil your kids. I'm not saying give them a Ferrari when they're 16. But what I am saying is within your destiny, try to position yourself in a way to when when your children are in need, you can help. And what happens is when you can help your child, they accelerate faster. We've had twice where our parents have significantly helped us out. And it got us out of a giant rut twice. And if that didn't happen, we could potentially still be just in a giant rut. So my point is they, they helped us accelerate to go further than they are. So it's important that we learn how to steward our resources, invest our time, money, and energies for the next generation. Y'all with me? Yeah. All right, number four. This is potentially the number one. Okay, the best way to live for the next generation is to model it. If you want your child to have high character, model it. If you want your child to do well with money, model it. If you want your child to raise the dead, model raising the dead. If you want to model a healthy marriage to your children, have, healthy, have a healthy marriage. If you want them to read scripture, read scripture. They're, they're watching us. We can't talk. We can't teach them past our behavior. They're watching us all the time. I hope my six-year-old will even say it to me. Well, you don't do that. I'm like, okay. She's right, you know? And so it's a big deal. They, we, we have to live a life of virtue, a life of character to our children, see it, and want that. It has to come from within them. It can't be an external thing controlling them. Eventually that doesn't work. They turn 18, and you see it go berserk. But if you empower them to let their internal world control them by modeling life, they will want what you have. It would be the greatest privilege and compliment in the world for your kids to want to follow you and your kids to want to, you to influence their life even at an old age. So we have to model that. Okay, number five, never dream outside your children. All right, just to be clear on this one. I am not saying live through your children. I am not saying you have to give up on your dreams. Okay? But what I am saying is that you can renew your mind and get with God and Him refine your dreams to where every dream you have is funneling through your children. It's so easy to dream outside of family. Heaven coming to earth looks like a giant family. And what we're supposed to do is become family. It's so easy for me to be like, man, you know, this 
pie-in-the-sky dream that pulls me outside of walking in covenant with my family into some funny dream that I have that doesn't benefit them, that's not fruitful for them. So you take all your dreams, and everything you build goes through your kids. I'm saying, in 30 years, every decision you make right now should be, okay, in 30 years, how are my kids going to prosper from what I'm doing right now? Everything. And if you can't, if that's not in your mind, you probably are in the wrong path. How, what are my kids going to step into in 20 years? What are they going to step into in 10 years? Having this in mind all the time. And anytime your mind goes to dreaming outside of covenant and outside of family, we've gotten off. Always have to dream through our children. Can I get an amen? All right. All of us, if you're hanging around me, I say this a lot. I want to mother and father a city. I want to be in a place of influence for the kingdom that we are literally changing infrastructure of traffic, education, industry, um, everything, racism, ending sex traffic, all of that stuff, being in a position to father a city, being in a position to mother a city. So that sounds funny in a room of 60 people. Like, you expect this group to father and mother a city? What I am saying to you is, God builds on people that live by his virtues. And I promise you, I promise this will happen. I promise you we can mother and father a city. But it's, it's not a short game. It's a long game. And you're drafted into this so we can actually have influence to shift the city of Baton Rouge and the surrounding areas. Are you with me on that? So we have to have this in mind. How am I stewarding my life to benefit the next generation? That, that comes down to every aspect. It's not just your own children. It's the whole city, everyone around me. How am I stewarding the next generation? How am I modeling life? They're watching. When the kids run in here tonight, they're watching how we behave. They're watching how we talk. And it's really important that we just understand that we're drafted into this. So I am inviting you into this to mother and father a city with me. But it starts in your home. It starts tonight when you put your child to sleep. It start, if you don't have kids, it starts tomorrow when you see a child. It starts tonight when a child walks in. It's, just, it's, a, it's a decision and a conviction to live for the next generation. And this is the heart of God. All right. In closing, the, I labeled the culture key not just living for the next generation, but it's leading the next generation into his heart. It's not just living for the next generation. It's leading the next generation into his heart. Listen, there, there is a major difference between a kid being able to recite a scripture or knowing an Old Testament story versus them knowing that the scriptures are alive and real and they know when to go to them. That, that is a major difference. It, it, there's a major difference between reading a story of Jesus healing someone versus a child watching someone's leg grow out three feet away. We can't, that, that, that's different. This is leading them into his heart. This isn't just routine. There's a major difference between a child getting an emotional high at a kid's camp, which I'm all for, 
But there's a difference between that and a child having a dream at 3 a.m. where the Holy Spirit wakes them up and begins to teach them about who he is. That's different. So I'm not talking about creating robots. I'm not talking about just talking about Christianity. I'm talking about positioning them to where they actually fall in love with God. We pray this all the time in pre-service prayer, which, by the way, is at 3.30, and anyone's welcome to come to pre-service prayer, um, that, that God would mark them today. God, during Kids Church today, you would mark them. There'd be something different today. It wouldn't just be a memory that they would be changed. And I know that's possible because that's what happened to me. I have three or four experiences from sixth grade down where I just, man, I was marked for God. Didn't matter where my journey was going, I knew subconsciously I was going to get back because I was changed. Something was different. Somebody led me into his heart. They didn't just recite a scripture. Okay? So as a community and as a culture, it's vital that you and I buy into and have conviction of leading the future generations into his heart. Amen? All right. Worship team, won't you come on up? All right. That's what I'd like to do. Instead of, um, instead of doing like some prophetic stuff, I thought it'd be cool just to go back into worship. Isn't it awesome that God's this way? Isn't that awesome? God, God cares about your children a lot. Like, the thing in you where you're like, man, I really care about my kids, God's got it like times 50. And so, two things. One, if this is already a part of you and you're already convicted by this, I would just encourage you during worship right now to just thank him that he's this way. Man, God, thank you that you think like this. You put blessings to generations, to generations, to generations. You're an amazing God. But if this is something that you struggle with, I would just ask that during this time that you just ask God to continue to renew your mind to live for the next generation. Isn't that good? This is a great sermon, guys. Um, why don't you stand up? So this song is, there's no other name, and there's no other name like Jesus, and we're just acknowledging him for his kindness and his goodness. We're acknowledging him for everything that he's done. So I'm going to just pray us into it. So, Holy Spirit, thank you for who you are. We thank you that you care about the next generation. Thank you that you're a father and you understand what it's like to have a son. And you understand lineage and you understand inheritance. I thank you that this is all your idea first. So we love you, God. We bless you and we come before you right now for a few minutes just to exalt you. And, Father, I ask that you continue to renew our minds on this subject in Jesus' name.